Good Friday is always, uh, I don't know, like an oxymoron in one sense. Um, but I, I think if I had to guess, I'd say probably what Jonathan said in the beginning is, is probably the way that the Lord would want us to, to really live this day, you know, with joy. Um, because of the fact that our sins have been paid in full by the blood of Jesus. You're a son of God by the blood of Jesus. You're a daughter of God by the blood of Jesus. You don't have to be afraid to die because of the blood of Jesus. We can have joy today and forevermore because of Good Friday. You know, one day, I mean, we're probably going to be attending people's funerals. Who knows? Maybe ours is next, huh? You never know, man. But I tell you what, if you're a Christian, if you're a Christian, yeah, there's a little aspect of sadness, but for the most part, I I tell you what, if the day comes and you guys attend my funeral, let there be joy. Let there be joy because, man, I'll be taller when when I'm in heaven. I'll have dark hair. Um, I'll be in the presence of Jesus Christ. Man, think about that. And so, man, um, what it is, yeah, I do, I do, though, as we go through our study today, we have communion and just things to think about because maybe you're here today and you're not, you know, you haven't been following the Lord. This is the day, man, that I pray that you would muster up the courage to come forward and say, yes, Lord, I want to follow you. You know, you don't want to just go to church service and leave the same way that you came. When you have the opportunity to be saved, you have the opportunity today to get right, to get right with God. If you, maybe you've walked away and you know in your heart you're not where you belong, you need to take a step of faith because when you read the Bible, yeah, God can do anything, but he always works in conjunction with individuals taking steps of faith. Whether it was the woman who reached out and she touched the, the tassels of Jesus' robe or whether it was the blind man who had the mud on his eyes and Jesus said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. When you read through the scriptures, there is always something. Yeah, he has the power to do it, but you need to take a step of faith. Do you want to experience the love of God? Do you want to experience the power of the Holy Spirit? Then you need to take that step of faith. You need to come forward. And I pray that today you wouldn't be afraid. You might be here and you'd be like, well, what happens if I go forward and I'm the only one? Well, yeah, in one sense, you might feel alone, but Jesus felt all alone. He was all alone in one sense when he died there publicly on the cross for you, for me. And so let this, let this, let this night be a, a night where we as Christians, I know if you're here and you're a Christian, so much of you is here simply because you just want to say, thank you, Jesus. That's why you're here, huh, Christians? Isn't that why you're here? You're here because you want to say, thank you, Jesus, right? Isn't that true? Um, but but if, you're, if you're not yet a Christian, you haven't been walking with the Lord, I pray by the end of the night that you would say that, that you would be able to say, thank you, Jesus, because I know you love me now. You know, today when I was thinking about the study, uh, before I actually begin, I kind of wanted to say something that was on my heart, that although I stand before you, there's a part of me that doesn't even want to be here. You know, it's this magnitude of the moment, if you think about it, because this is the day we actually, we contemplate, we celebrate the death of Jesus Christ. You know, on that hill called Calvary, what he did so that we can be Christians, what he did so we can be complete, what he did so that we can be clean. That Friday, 1,991 years ago, he finished the work of salvation. Think about that. That's huge. I mean, that is epic. There's nothing like it. And so this morning when I was praying, I was kind of reminded of a passage in the Old Testament back in the book of Exodus, chapter 40. I'll read it to you. In Exodus 40, 34, it says, Then the cloud covered the tabernacle of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And and Moses was not able to enter the tabernacle of meeting because the cloud rested above it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. I mean, when you think about it, John chapter 19, verse 30, when he died on the cross, it is finished. That's why we're here, because it is finished. It is done. Debt paid in full, right? 
And so you go back to the Old Testament, it's kind of interesting, the same thing, the tabernacle was finished. And so what happened when it was finished, Moses was not able to go in, no man could go in. Just the glory of God. You know, it's interesting, the same thing happened about uh, 500 years later or so when they finished the temple, that building built through Solomon we read in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10, And it came to pass when the priest came out of the holy place that the cloud filled the house of the Lord. Here it is again. So that the priest could not continue ministering because of the cloud for the glory of the Lord filled the house of the Lord. When they finished the tabernacle, when they finished the temple, when Jesus, what, I'm, what we're talking about here is when things are finished like this, so glorious... I mean, what we're talking about is that Moses, the man, could not enter in. No person or priest can continue ministering back then. And think about it. Those, that tabernacle, that temple was just a shadow of the substance of what we're celebrating tonight. It is finished. Think about that. And so this evening, as I was thinking about this Lord the final sacrifice that saves a sinner like me, that finishes the work of forgiveness. Lord, as we contemplate that gory cross, that glorious cross, Lord, I pray that in one sense, every man, musician, messenger, person, pastor on stage would almost disappear. Because, you know, this is the day that Jesus is here and I my prayer lord I pray tonight that we anyone that you might look at on the stage whatever that we would simply do this with all our heart our desire is to draw your attention to Jesus draw your attention to Jesus only because I when I when I think about the fact that we're standing on holy ground what what he did I mean, to me, I'm like, Lord, this is your day. This is your day. I'm wicked. I'm a sinner. So are you, right? Right? Some of you guys are pretty bad, man. (laughs) But even though I look at you, because of your faith in Jesus Christ, all your sins are washed away. You know, you watch the news today, and they're making a big deal about the fact that, you know, whatever, Passover, it kind of coincides with Good Friday and Easter Sunday and Ramadan and all that kind of stuff. And they're really, you know, celebrating that. Listen, there ain't no one like Jesus. Muhammad is not like Jesus. Muhammad killed. Jesus died. Big difference. The Jews today, in, in order for them to try to be saved, you know what they try to do? They try to earn their way to heaven. Yom Kippur is the day because they no longer have the tabernacle and they no longer have the sacrifices. They don't believe in Jesus. So what the Jews do today in order to try to get saved is try to be good enough to go to heaven. They'll never be good enough to go to heaven. See, so when you're watching the news and they're like, oh, Ramadan, oh, Passover, oh, Good Friday. Listen, there is no comparison what Jesus did. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the blood of God washes away our sins. Your sins, my sins. Listen, how does that impact your life? To know that you're free, to know that you're forgiven, to know that if you die today, you'll go to heaven, to know that the the, the God of the universe, if you're a Christian, lives inside of you. My prayer is that as we celebrate Good Friday, that these type of things would hit us hard. You know, why is Good Friday good? And then, of course, we know what we did to Jesus on the cross. Think about what we did to Jesus on the cross. It is as bad as bad can be. What we did to love incarnate. You know, you might be here and you'll be like, well, I didn't do that. Yes, you did. It was us. We did it. Like Pastor Henry has said earlier, it was us that put Christ on the cross. It was you and me who nailed him to the tree. We can't isolate the Roman governor or the Roman soldiers or the Jewish leaders, or the Jewish followers. No, he died for my disobedience. He was sacrificed for our sins. This is important for us to know. How many of you here are in tune, you're cognizant with the fact that you nailed Jesus to the cross? Do you know that? 
You know, John Stott said this is so important. He said, before we can begin to see the cross as something done for us, we have to see it as something done by us. So important. It was my sin for which he was slain. So, so what we did to, to Jesus was, was not good, but what Jesus did for us is as good as good can be. God is perfect. Heaven is a place for perfect people. Listen, I don't care how good you think you are. You will never be good enough to go to heaven on your own. And that's why the good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ is he provides the righteousness for us. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, when you come forward and choose to follow him, when God, the holy God of the universe, looks at you, he sees no sin. Because you're covered in the righteousness of Christ. This is why Good Friday is so good. Good Friday is good because it's the day that provides our pardon. Pardon is defined as the action of forgiving or being forgiven for errors, offenses, and sins. And so one of the things I was thinking about, we're going through Holy Week, is, uh, we went over Wednesday how in one sense uh, that week, kind of like the ministry really leading up to that point was his purpose, Jesus' purpose. On Sunday, I pray you guys can join us. It's going to be another glorious day. There's nothing like Easter, man, but that's going to be his power. So leading up to it, his purpose, that was his, we're going to see an Easter Sunday, his power. We will experience the power of God on Sunday. But today, what we get to contemplate is his pardon. The action of forgiving or being forgiven for errors, offenses, and sins. You know, when Jesus died on the cross, the pardon was done by his blood, due to his death, cleansed at the cross, forgiven that Friday and forevermore. You know, it's crazy when you think about what happened when Jesus died. It's almost like words aren't enough. Uh, There was an eclipse. There was an earthquake. The veil was torn in two from top to bottom. Tombs were opened. People resurrected from the dead. I mean, it's just amazing to see what God did on that day when his son finished the work. And so we're here tonight. And even if that's all you did, you know, you're here to say thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving my brother Peter. I remember the problems they had in their marriage before they were Christians, what God has done in his life. And I think of Henry over here and Henry over here, and I can name every single one of you. You're a miracle. Thank you, Jesus. Amen? Amen. Thank you, Jesus. We are here to worship you. Imagine the day that you see him, the one who died for you. Imagine that day. Some of you here, that's all, hey, if that's all it is, thank you, Jesus. But I think others are here because you need to say that. Thank you, Jesus. You need to start saying that. Thank you, Jesus. You need to say, I need you, Jesus. You need to say, help me, Jesus. Some of you here, you need to say that because you're getting caught up in the world. No, you need to come back to the Lord. You need to say, forgive me, Jesus. And you want to know something? If you say, forgive me, Jesus, he will forgive you. You take one step, he'll take 99 steps. He'll run to you. But he won't force himself on you. He's a perfect gentleman. You know, if you're here and you've been struggling, if you're here and you don't know much about it, you know, for me, I was kind of raised up in a religious atmosphere and I went to the parochial school and I read my Bible and all those kind of things, but I never really knew God. And i never forget the day that God is knocking on my heart. By the grace of God, he brought me forward. I took a step of faith and God came into my life and he wants to do that with you today. You know, if that's you tonight, I hope you know you came to the right place. You know, you came not to a building in a strip mall on the north side of El Monte. That's not where you came. You came to the foot of the cross 
You came to the foot of the cross of Calvary where you can be set free by faith in Christ, forgiven forever. Go to heaven when you die. And for all of you out there who are prodigals, listen, it's time to come home. Don't you see what's going on in the world today? Not only is the return of Christ just at the door and so eminent, the days are getting darker. Listen, if you don't come back to Christ today, you may never have that opportunity again. I pray that you would. Maybe you're here today and you feel lost. And I pray that you would be found today. Recently, I read a story of a man in a big city who came across a little boy that was lost. And the little boy was all alone in the hustle and bustle of city life and had no clue where his parents were. And he was just there crying. And so the man approached him and and wanted to help him. And he said, hey, little guy, no need to cry. We'll get you back to your family. Do you know anything, the man asked him, do you know anything about where you live? And the little boy said, I don't know my address. I don't know my way home, but I I do know it's not too far from here. and, And my home is close to a building with a really big cross on it. And the man immediately knew what he was describing. It was a church a few blocks away with a big cross. It wasn't that far. And so the man led the little boy there. And once the little boy found the cross, he found his home. And that's the way it works, friends. It's not about the church. It's an imperfect church. It's not about the pastor. I'm more wicked than you are. I know myself. I know my heart. It's not about us. The best of men are men at best. It's about Jesus Christ. And that cross where he died for you so that you would live for him. Once you find the cross, you find your home. And this is why Good Friday is such an awesome night. It's really how it works when we silly see what's going on here. We'll find our home with the family of God and the saints in heaven. Let me, I just want to share with you a couple of things, real, real quick things for the next couple of hours. Um, <laughs> number one, real simple today, substitution, substitution for life. And then number two is that amazing expression of love. Because kind of in one sense, I mean, there's a million things that we could talk about when we consider the cross, but, but really this is how it works because someone might wonder, well, why did Jesus have to die? You know, when Jesus was there in the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Remember, he prayed that in the garden. And, you know, if it were possible then surely the Father would have let that cup pass from him. If you could go to heaven by being a good person, then why did Jesus have to die? If you could go to heaven through Muhammad or Islam or being a good person, maybe practicing Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, whatever it might be, then why did God the Father make his son die such a horrible death on the cross? And the answer is because there was no other way. There is no other way. There is no one like Jesus. On Sunday, we'll see that. He's the only one who gutted the grave, defeated death, conquered the coffin. He's the only one that has the power of life. And so when you look at Christ and you're wondering, why did it have to be him? Well, we're going to talk about this. And, And number one, you know, when you see what Jesus did, he is the substitution for life. We have a passage we'll show you up on the screen, Leviticus chapter 3, verse 2, and it says, And he shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting, and Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood all around on the altar. So if you can visualize an individual, you know, there's a, there's a lamb, there's a sacrifice. And what the priests were called to do over and over and over again, saturated throughout the Old Testament scriptures, was to take the hands, put them on the head of that animal, and then what they would do is they would kill the animal. 
they would drain the blood and they would sprinkle it wherever it needed to be. What that was was a shadow of the substance, how the sins were transferred to the animal and the animal paid the price of death. What that was was a shadow of what Jesus would ultimately do for us one day. What we call it, theologians call it, is the vicarious, vicarious atonement of Christ. I read of one well-known theologian who said, in his judgment, it's the single most important word in all the Greek New Testament. It's that minuscule word, hooper. Can you guys say that, hooper? Now you know Greek, hooper. (laughs) And you're like, well, what does that mean, Manny? Well, it just means in behalf of, in behalf of. And what this theologian was saying is that what, what we see is that Jesus' death on behalf of us is the most important thing that we'll ever understand. You know, I believe it was alluded to earlier how in Genesis chapter 22, when God called Abraham to sacrifice his son, it's the first time you read the word love in the whole Bible. Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, and I want you to go up to Mount Moriah and I want you to sacrifice him there. And Abraham was obedient and they brought the wood, which is symbolic of the cross. And Isaac went. He's symbolic of the son. It's the first time we see the picture in Genesis 22. And he goes up there and he binds up Isaac and he's just about to offer him as a sacrifice because his love was being tested. And God said, that's enough. You don't have to do this. God said, you don't need to sac- I've just I've tested you, Abraham. You've passed the test. And so, you know, it's interesting. Isaac is saying, well, Lord, I, Dad, I, I don't get it. You know, we've got the wood. We've got the fire to kindle the wood. But where's the sacrifice? And this is what Abraham said. Literally in the Hebrew language, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. And you see it early. You know, Genesis 22, Exodus chapter 13, the Passover lamb. A lot of you guys know the story, Right? I mean, the Passover lamb is when God was redeeming his people from Egypt. And what God said you need to do is you take, take a lamb, you kill the lamb, take the blood, put it on the doorpost and the, door the lintel, which was a cross. And when the angel of death comes there in Egypt, he will see the blood applied to your house and he will pass over. And then you start reading it over and over again, the rock that was struck, the serpent that was lifted up, symbolic of sin, Jesus on the cross. You see it throughout the Bible. John the Beloved in John chapter 1, verse 29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, when you look at the substitute, I want you guys to go to Isaiah 52. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, finally, he has us open up the Bible. (laughs) Isaiah 52. In Isaiah 52, verses 13 through 15, this is such an amazing prophecy written 700 years before Christ. Isaiah 52, 13 says, Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high Now, verses 13 through 15 in chapter 52 are a summary of this whole teaching. And one of the things that you'll find real quick, I just want to tell you as a side note, is that there is a cross, there is a cross, there is a cross, but there's also a crown. And these things are mingled together whenever you read it, whether it's here, Philippians 2, other places, there's the cross, there's the cross, there's the crown. And so we see that here in verse 13, and it says here, just as many were astonished at you, so his visage was marred more than any man and his form more than the sons of men. Like I said, verses 13 through 15 are more of a summary. And what he's talking about right there is when Jesus did actually die. By the time they were done with him, he looked like a piece of meat. Remember that. We're going to come back to this later. But if you're ever wondering whether or not God loves you, this is what you got to see, the extent of the sacrifice. And so we see in verse 15, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths at him for what they had not been told them they shall see and what they had not heard they shall consider. Look at verse 4 of chapter 53. He is despised and rejected by men, 
a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And notice in verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs. There it is, borne our griefs, carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people. He was stricken. When I was a little boy and I disrespected my parents, when I got a little older, started lying, started conniving, started drinking, started getting high. As I continue to get older, and even now when I mistreat my wife or my kids, you name it, road rage on the freeway, lust in our hearts, hatred, anger, all the things that we've ever done, past, present, future, all of it was laid on him. All the things you've ever done was laid on him. We sinned against God, and that's an infinite offense. We could never pay that price for justice. This is why it had to be God to die for us. And this is what Jesus did. He paid a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. You know, when you look at this, it's, just like I said, the thing about the cross is just the, the substitution. The substitution for life. Because Jesus died for you on the cross, very simple gospel. He bore the punishment that you deserved. He absorbed the wrath of God. The wrath of God. Not the wrath of man. Not the wrath of the devil. That's a different thing. He absorbed the wrath of God for us. And because you came forward, because you believed, you are now a blood-bought, bonafide believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. You are forgiven and free. We are accepted in the beloved. Even though I know sometimes we don't feel that way, and I know life is still hard. Listen, God is still working all things together for good. Just like Good Friday, the big message is the worst thing became the best thing. That's going to be the same thing that happens in your life right here as you're down and out, and you're wondering, you're discouraged, and you're wondering, Lord, what's going to happen here? You want to know what God says is going to happen? Something glorious is going to happen out of that. You can trust God for that. Because the Bible says on Good Friday, we see it, the epitome of Romans 8.28, that all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purpose. You know, the, the substitution thing, it, it isn't new. We've seen it saturated throughout the Old Testament. And it even kind of happens today in, in different ways. I don't know if you guys knew this. I, I thought this was interesting. Did you guys know the wealthy in China? The wealthy people in China, they still practice substitution. In China, the extremely wealthy can avoid prison terms by hiring body doubles. Did you guys know that? This is true. Check out Slate.com. It originally broke uh, the story of how the super rich in China get away with pretty much everything, even murder. According to Slate, a wealthy 20-year-old man named Hu was drag racing with his friends when he struck and killed a pedestrian. 
Although he received a prison sentence, it was later discovered that the man appearing in court and who served the sentence wasn't him at all, but it was the double. In another case, the owner of a demolition company that illegally demolished a home hired a destitute man, promised him $31 a day for the body double spent in jail. Apparently in China, the practice is so common, there's even a term for it. They call it the substitute criminal. Well, in one sense, that's exactly what Jesus has done. I know that sounds scandalous, but 2,000 years ago, someone became our substitute, my substitute. He took the punishment that I deserve. He took the penalty of all our sins in his own body on the cross. You know, justice is not met by the wealthy getting off scot-free, but the death of Christ was justice for the unjust. He paid for you. He paid for you. Jesus Christ paid the price for us. He paid it all. You see, the cross, number one, is our substitution for life. But then I think something that's so important that we can't miss out on Good Friday is the cross, number two, is his expression of love. You know, like I said earlier, I think if you were to go to Jesus' funeral, in one sense, this is kind of like what that is. We're thinking, we're contemplating his death. I think he wants us to be happy, man. I, I think there's something about this. Even though I know it can be tough at times, I just know, Lord, I'm forgiven. Even though I know the wicked man that I am, I know who I am in Christ. And Lord, by your grace, you got me on this narrow road and I'm not... You know, the man I want to be, but I'm not the man I used to be. Lord, it's a narrow road, but you got me there. Thank you, Lord. And so there's an aspect of which we're, 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 we're kind of, you know, I don't know, happy that he died for us. But don't let that, however, take away from the extent of the suffering because you have to see the suffering in order to see, I believe, the love. The love. What will change your life? What will really change your life? When God comes into your life because of the fact that you discover he loves you. And that's so important. We can't miss that on Good Friday. Marred more than any man. We read in Isaiah 52 uh, verse 14. Consider what he went through. You guys know the story. If you want to go to Luke chapter 23, and as you're you're going there, you know, try to consider what Jesus did, you know, when that night came. You guys might remember he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and it was so intense, the spiritual battle was so intense that he began to sweat blood hematidrosis, the blood was coming out of his sweat capillaries. And so what happened with that, the skin is getting as thin. The next thing you know, Judas comes in with all these temple uh, you know, troops and he ends up portraying Jesus with a kiss that's definitely got to hurt. But then the beatings begin, the spitting begins, the mocking begins. Then he's, you know, three whatever, so-called trials, religious trials. And there he is with uh, Annas and Caiaphas and the Sanhedrin. And then he goes to Pilate and back to Herod and Pilate again. And all along the way, all along the way, they're just beating him down, mocking him, putting a robe on him, crown of thorns on him, which is symbolic of the way that he took the curse for us. Next thing you know, Pilate is trying so hard to get this guy off his hands you know, but there's a riot that's developing. He doesn't know what to do. And so uh, he thinks, well, well, I know what I'll do. I'll scourge him with the cat of nine tails. And they, you know, in those days, men would die from the scourgings. If you've seen the, the passion of the Christ, listen, that's nothing compared to what Jesus went through for us. The cat of nine tails. I'll, I'll, and I'll show them you know, that I punished him. And I'm sure I'll draw out the compassion you know, once they see the man, just the bloody mess that he is, the man who was marred more than any man. 
But what did they see? When they saw him there, they were mustered up by the devil himself, these religious leaders, and they said, away with him. Pilate says, behold, look at him. Look at what he's gone through. The people say, be away with him. Crucify him. And then Jesus goes and he's crucified on that cross. Six hours, six is the number of men. There he is. And when you go to Israel, you'll see the the hill called Calvary and you'll see the road where he was crucified there publicly, you know, and and rush hour, Passover, just tons, millions of people in the city at that time, naked. And you realize this is how much he loves me. You know, I was reading about this one uh, guy's, a couple of guys, real calculus uh, smart. And back in the 1930s, they invented a machine that actually can measure, uh, well, at least they thought anyways, can measure how much two individuals love each other. I think we have a, a picture of it right here. That's actually, a, it was a scientific e- thing they had for a few years going on. And, and it's interesting to me when you look at that, how um, they thought they could measure how much someone loves another individual. And so what ended up happening was, uh, you know, they would get these chemicals or they get these electric uh, responses. And as they get closer and closer, supposedly you can tell whether or not your wife really loves you or not. Imagine going to that. <laughs> Unless they say the wife doesn't pass the test. Well, or the husband, you know. And so again, that's, I don't know if that's, I don't think that's real, to be honest. But how do you know whether or not an individual really loves you? Some say it's by the kiss. I don't know if that's true. You can tell. But when you look at what God did for us and the level of sacrifice and suffering, if it were me, I would have said enough. They ain't worth it. If it were me, I would have never given my son for any of you. But see, I don't know that kind of love yet. God does. And as we celebrate Good Friday, we have to know the substitute for life. Thank you, Lord, I'm alive because of that substitution. But Lord, we also need to know the expression of his love. You know, when you read the scriptures, it all started in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's how much God loves you. Romans 5.8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. Revelation 1.5 says, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood. In John chapter 15, verse 13, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Listen, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know, you know, what is happening in your life. I don't know. I remember reading about one guy who sued God because his life was so horrible. And all I know is that, yeah, life is tough. Life is tough. Well, we got to know when we look at the cross that that's a demonstration of God's love for you. Can I ask you a question? Maybe I can ask you two questions. Number one, do you love him? Do you love him? You know, he said, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Do you love him? Number two, do you have life? If you don't, if you're not sure where you stand in those issues today, my prayer is that today you would just, in in freedom, in freedom, respond. This is your opportunity. I mean, the cross was so violent, but it was a violent love. I read one article about Facebook rejecting an ad 
because they said the cross is shocking and excessively violent. There was a Christian university in Ohio recently posted a series of ads on Facebook to promote some of its online theology programs, but Facebook rejected one of them because it included a representation of the crucifixion. And so the monitors at Facebook said the reason for their rejection was that they found the depiction of the cross shocking and excessive. Listen, God's love for you, and I don't care who you are, you might think, well, no, not me, because I'm really bad. Listen, God's love for you, my brother, my sister, my friend, beloved, my, my, I'm telling you, God's love for you is shocking and excessive. Have you realized that yet? There is nothing you can do to make him love you more because there's nothing you could do to make him love you less. You will have your good days. You will have your bad days. We all do. But God's love never fluctuates. All he asks, though, is that you accept that love. You know, when you read what happened here in the Gospel of Luke, Notice what we read in verse 33 of Luke 23. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on, but even the rulers with them sneered, saying he saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ, the chosen of God. Imagine if Jesus would have come down from the cross. We wouldn't be saved. They're trying to tell him, save yourself, save yourself. No, he was there to save us. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also, which was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, This is the king of the Jews. And then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, if you are the Christ, save yourself and us. But here it is, the other answering rebuked him, saying, do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, assuredly, in the Greek, it's amen, amen. Verily, verily, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. All that man did was a simple articulation of his faith in Jesus. And that faith in Jesus brought him a place in paradise, in heaven. Jesus didn't force him. The thief on this side, all he could do was blaspheme Jesus. But the one on this side was forgiven. You know, and, and as we close uh, today, my prayer, you guys, is that when you're looking at those two thieves that were dying next to Jesus, one believed and one didn't. And because the one believed, he did a little something. Just It wasn't much. He did a little something. And as a result of that, he's in heaven. You know, one day, we'll talk to that thief. And we'll be like, whoa, dude, you barely made it in, man. <laughs> but you want to know something else? When I talk to that thief, I'm going to ask him, tell me what was it like dying on a cross next to my Lord? Because that's what he did. You know, I don't know where you're at tonight. I mean, it's cool getting together at church. We love you. And I thank you for even just having the heart to say, you know, come on a, on a Friday and say, thank you, Jesus. But our heart, my heart aches most if there's anyone here who's maybe drifted away from God or maybe you never accepted him. 
what we're going to do right now is we're going to sing a song. We're going to disappear. No man, no musician, no person, no priest, no pastor. No, we're drawing your attention to Jesus. And if you're here tonight and you want to get right with God, you want forgiveness, you want a new start, and you need prayer, we're going to sing this song, and my prayer is that you come forward. You just come. You got you to gotta do something. You got to take that step of faith. You come forward. Don't be ashamed. He wasn't ashamed to die for you publicly. And don't be afraid. Don't even hesitate. As we sing this song, you come forward, whoever you are. You want a new beginning. You want to rededicate. You want a first-time commitment. You need prayer. You come forward, and we're going to pray for you. And so let's have the musicians come. Lord, I thank you so much for the cross, Lord. I know the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. And on Good Friday, Lord, you can do something good today. And so I pray, Lord, for these beautiful people, Lord, that they wouldn't be afraid, that they would be willing to take that step of faith and and come forward, Lord, and just um, experience a, a new beginning in life. Thank you, Lord, for dying for us, for rising again. Thank you, Lord. Your word says, if we believe on the Lord, Jesus Christ will be saved. You made it so simple. So thank you, Lord. We pray you just bless this time. You draw people to you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, we're going to sing a song, and I love uh, the words of this song. It, it, It goes like this. At the cross, at the cross, I surrender my life. I'm in awe of you. I'm in awe of you. I love those words. And so if that's what you want to do today, you want to surrender your life, hopefully you're in awe of him and what he did on that cross. Um, We're going to sing this song. And you just come forward and we want to pray with you.
Don't be afraid. We're going to sing that one more one more time. And I know there's more of you here today. Don't let the, the devil glue your seat to that seat. Man, this is the most important decision you'll ever make. And I know there are many of you here that need to get right with God. I remember, man, when I got saved and the pastor, man, he extended that invitation. And I, I, I was having a hard time getting up and going forward. Man, and it took a while. It took a long while. But that day, August 20th, 1989, when I went forward and I took those steps, I tell you what, the God of the universe came into my life. And so whatever you do, don't let the the enemy rip you off, you guys. Take that step of faith. Be bold. Be courageous. Tonight's the night, man, where God wants to do that work inside of you. And so we're going to sing that one more time. And I know if God's knocking on your heart and you know you should go forward, please don't be afraid. The God of the universe loves you. He died for you. And he wants to start this new life in you. And so I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, you would know. The Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. The Bible says, when the prodigal son came back, man, the father ran to him. And so I believe the power of God is present. God wants to do something beautiful in your life. But you have to let him. You have to take that step of faith. And so whoever you are, please, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would come forward. So we're going to sing that one more time. Please, just come. Just come to the love of Christ.
Praise God. Praise God. So, so anyone else, this is, your, this is your chance. You might think, well, I'll do it on Easter Sunday. You might not be able, be able you, might, you might be here on Easter Sunday. You know, if God's knocking in your heart, the Bible says in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. And if anyone wants to open up their heart, Jesus said, I'll come in and I'll dine with them. So this is the opportunity that you have. My prayer is that if that's you, you're out there, that you would just come, man. We'll wait just a couple more seconds. The most important decision you'll ever make. Don't let the enemy rip you off. Don't think, well, I'm just going to go to In-N-Out afterwards. That's why I'm here, man. (laughs) That's not why we're here. We're here because God loves you and God has a plan for your life. So anyone else? Anyone else? The Bible says, if you confess me before man, I will confess you before my Father who is in heaven. But if you deny me before man, I'll deny you before my Father who is in heaven. This is it. Okay, I'm going to pray with you guys who have came forward. And what I want you to do from your heart, just know God loves you. God died for you. And you pray this prayer from your heart. You say, Dear Lord, I come to you today and I admit I have sinned. But I turn from my sin and I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Praise God. Hey, you guys, I want you to come over here if you would. They just want to pray with you and give you a Bible and encourage you, okay? We're going to have communion now, you guys. And so um, let me just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Paul the Apostle said, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so let's pray for the bread. Lord, we thank you for what this bread symbolizes the the body of Christ that was broken for us, showing so much love. And so, Lord, I pray as a church, as we're gathered together, Lord Jesus, we do this in remembrance of you. You are uh, the king of kings. You're the head of the church. Lord, we thank you for your love demonstrated on Calvary. And so I pray, Lord, as we partake of the bread together, that this truth would reach our hearts. God loves me. We love you. We thank you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake of the bread. In verse 25, it says, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so, Lord, we thank you for what this cup symbolizes, the precious blood of Jesus. And even as we studied tonight, Lord, just contemplating your love and also contemplating your life. Thank you for the blood, Lord, that washes away our sins. And I pray, Lord, that you just bless this to our heart, that we would know who we are in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that even as a church, we would never forget you. That when we leave tonight, Lord, that the only thing that would really be on our lips and in our hearts, the only thing is how good you are, Jesus. How good you are. Father, thank you for giving us your son. Holy Spirit, thank you for highlighting the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, thank you for dying. We pray, Lord, as we partake together, that we would just have this truth in our hearts, the life that is in the blood. Thank you, Lord, we pray. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's partake. Praise God.
Is God good? It's, it's, it really is a, a, just a, a good Friday. We should probably change it to Great Friday, huh? <laughs> you know, I was thinking about that passage over in Psalm 34, verse 8. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Huh? How many of you here, you just know God is good because you're saved? How many of you here, you know God is good because of the way that you're serving him. You know, I have a feeling that there are some, and you guys got to be really careful, that you're, you only got kind of like a half heart. And so my encouragement to you is just to know the one who died for you, he's worthy of your entire heart, all your life. And so what happens a lot of times is people don't think that God is that good because They've only been living half-hearted. But you can talk to people here who are in, all in, and they'll tell you, God is good all the time. And all the time, God is good. They'll tell you that, and you'll experience that. There's that, that psalm, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. It's interesting, the, the taste buds, because I know some of you guys are already thinking about dinner right now, and you're like, man, I can't wait. But the way that the taste buds work and the electric signals they bring to our brain, and it's interesting, not just true of people, but it's true of animals as well. All animals have taste buds, including those that live under the water. Did you guys know, for example, catfish have taste buds virtually all over their skin? Did you guys know that? How many of you knew that? All right, I want to tell you something new. Anyways... It, it, it earns its name, the nickname, the swimming tongue, because these fish have literally taste buds all around their bodies. Flies do, spiders do, fruit flies do. They all have taste buds on their feet. And so anyways, all that to say, if you taste, man, I'm not talking about in the outskirts. I'm not talking about, oh, that looks pretty cool, you know, things of the Lord from a distance. I'm, not, I'm talking about taking it in, living the life. If you taste, you will see. The Lord is good. Amen.